Welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. This is our Q&A series where I answer your questions regarding the infinite banking concept, becoming your own banker. Let's get started. In this question, David asks, um, this is Infinite Banking Simplified. Uh, I don't guess that was an episode, a numbered episode. That was a video that we had released several years ago. But yeah, so you stated all of the life insurance policies not to go with, but you never said what insurance policy is best. What is, what is it called and where do I go to open one today? Well, thanks for asking the question, David. There should be links below that um, that you can access on where to open one today. It's a bit of a process, but that's where you start. And then I'm specifically talking about dividend-paying whole life insurance issued by mutual companies and then structured for, quote-unquote, banking. So you can also go to the Nelson Nash Institute practitioner finder i'll put a link below um and that is infinitebanking.org so um agents advisors that practice this concept and have gone through the practitioners program at the nelson nash institute they've gone through an interview they've gone through um some education on austrian economics and life insurance and then, so they've kind of been vetted at, at some level. Um, that's where you would go to find an agent, um, if you wish. And you can always call my office for the sake of being overly self-promotional. Um, the best, quote-unquote, banking policies in the country, in North America, come through my office in Alvarado, Texas. But I'm biased, Okay. And this question, Bill asked, and this was, um, Ron and I shot a video, episode 119, our reaction to the NNI 2022 think tank. I think we shot that while we were in Birmingham before we left. Okay. Are there any circumstances, any circumstances in which it makes sense to obtain a HELOC to finance a high premium, properly structured whole life policy? My short answer is probably not. And it's a no. You know, I'm, I'm speaking to the big wide world. Your individual circumstances, I am unaware of. A direct question here. Should I leverage probably my primary asset? If I'm the all-American individual, the... My the my my wealth, my money is tied up in my primary place of residence, my home, and my qualified retirement plans. And I'm speaking generally, right? Um, so the greatest assets for most Americans are in their home and their retirement plan. Okay. Now, should I leverage my home through a HELOC? Should I leverage my home? And I've got to have equity in the home to get the HELOC, right? Should I go borrow against my home, then pay high premium life insurance, 
right? And they structured for cash, quote unquote. So I'll have a high cash value in the first year so I can borrow against that cash value. So I've taken leverage, purchased a policy that has a loss of liquidity or startup costs in the first several years, and then leverage that to do what? To go buy what I see often is what I hear often is, well, I'm going to go buy appreciating cash flowing assets. Okay. Or I'm going to go buy turnkey, quote unquote, real estate or make a quote unquote investment in cryptocurrency or real estate. Well, then my question is this, um, are you a real estate investor already? You changing careers, you know, um, you know, so there's, it's not just a straightforward yes or no question, in my opinion. But look, if you can uh, judge me for anything, it's because I'm too conservative and I don't speak proper English, both of which I'm okay with. So the short answer is no, Bill. Now, if you're a sophisticated investor, whatever that means, and a real estate investor, you know, you're probably leveraging property already. So, could it make sense? Are there any? So maybe. So I'm modifying my hard no to maybe. It depends on your particular circumstances. But when you, the listener, is approached or out of the bat, that's where you start with a HELOC, leverage your home, HELOC, to buy policy, to leverage the policy to do something? No, that's not where you start. Could it be done? Yes, it can be done. Um, should you do it? It depends on your circumstances. So the best solution is an educated consumer and an educated agent and advisor. You know, I mean, I get very suspect when, you know, somebody's promoting a HELOC, you know, and their life insurance agent, and they do, you know, tax liens or, and they provide tax services and they do this and they do that. I mean, I'm a capitalist. I'm okay with profits and revenue streams, but you know, it gets a little murky. I'm going to sell you a life insurance policy. Uh, first, I'm going to sell you a loan and then sell you a life insurance policy. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to sell you the quote unquote investment that we're going to leverage the policy to purchase. So, you know, I get pretty uncomfortable. So I hope I know that was a long answer to your simple question. And I appreciate your question and the opportunity to share my answer. And listen, I'm sharing my 30 years of experience in the life insurance world, in the uh, financial services industry, um, 58 years of, you know, my feet on the ground, um, 18 or so years with uh, practicing personally uh, and practicing in, uh, um, you know, teaching or showing people how to practice the infinite banking concept. You know, I met Nelson at 18, 18 or so years ago, 17, something like that, a long time. So I didn't just wake up yesterday and said, oh, HELOCs are a bad, bad thing, or that's not where you should start. Okay. So uh, to wrap that up, my answers come with me. And I come with my opinions and my biases and my experience. So thanks for listening. Okay. And this, this is a this is a question. 
And, and, you know, my question is a little off topic, but if you could help me, please, you know, she has a policy that's two years old and it kind of gets to the incontestability clause. All right. And then she's very complimentary. You know, thanks for all the work that you do. And uh, thank you for the uh, difficult topics of, you know, 1090 that you and Ryan discuss. Uh, I appreciate you listening. And I appreciate the kind words, but I want to talk about the incontestability period or the non-contestability clause in a life insurance contract. All right, so every state, um, no, most states have a two-year incontestability clause. There are some states that have a one-year. All right, excuse me. And you, so you should know if you have a life insurance policy, this is a a uh, clause in the contract, right? Every life insurance policy is a contract and they all have this clause. Um, If you materially misrepresent on the application, right? So let's say I bought a policy, you know, January 1 of 2020. Okay. If I materially misrepresent on that application, if I'm less than honest, right, and I'm not answering health questions forthrightly, um, and I die in the first two years, 24 months, the company has the right to rescind the policy, which would be um, you'd receive a letter that says, uh, here's your premium back. They refund your premium. And you get a nice letter with some verbiage that goes somewhere along the lines of, uh, we would not have issued this policy had you answered these questions forthrightly. And therefore, the policy, we rescind the policy and it as is, it is as if we've never met. So they refund the policy premium and the policy is rescinded. Now, some companies are 12 months. All right. Um, now, if I die 24 months in one day, you know, they the claim must be paid. They can't use the incontestability clause, you know, to rescind the policy. So we should be forthright and we should be honest when we complete an application. All right. Um, yeah. I think that answers the question. So there's an incontestability clause or non-contestability clause in every life insurance policy where the company has a right to rescind the policy, return the premiums, and not pay the death benefit if the insured graduates, dies in the first two years. Some states, it's 12 months. So I hope that answers your question. And um, thank you for listening. Okay. And this question, this question is a video that was the infinite banking concept in a nutshell. Uh, What financial advisor knows this concept? Who do I hire or who to hire? Well, I want to, I want to go back and so look, there's links in the video or in the notes below that if you want to become your own banker, if you want to practice this concept, if you want to put this concept into action, by all means, reach out to us. You know, and I know that some people like to have the advisor, the agent within driving distance. I get that. Um, but, you know, also, um, want you to know or remind you, and I'll remind myself that, you know, this is 2022. 
right? The technology is unbelievable that we have. So, I mean, even though you like the idea of driving to someone's office and there's nothing wrong with that, but limiting your choice to a local um, agent is maybe not the best solution. You may be limiting your choices severely. So you can go to the Nelson Nash Practitioner Finder. That's infinitebanking.org and, and search your state. Every um, agent advisor that is a practitioner with the Nelson Nash Institute is listed. And there's really kind of a break point on a, on the, on the list. When say you go to Texas, you type in Texas, every agent and, and, and advisor, every practitioner who lives in Texas, a resident of Texas will be on that list. Right. And if you hit refresh, it'll just refresh the list, you know, because all the agents say, Hey, David, I want to be up number one. Well, so every time you hit refresh, the, the list rotates, right? But at the top, there's really two lists. The first list are, uh, residents of your state at whatever city they live in. Then there's another list below that. Those are non resident agents. So they are licensed to practice or write life insurance in your state. They just don't live in your state. Right, so that's where to go. If you don't call our office and you don't go into the show notes and become a client or fast track or learn more, go to the Nelson Nash Institute. I mean, if you're, if you're talking about IBC and if you're talking about the infinite banking concept and you want to, you want to become your own banker, why not go to the source? Nelson Nash is a creator of this idea and this concept. And I hear the naysayers out there, oh, he didn't invent this. Yes, he did. You know, he didn't invent, invent the loan provision in life insurance, right? That existed uh, a long time, uh, for a long time. He's the one that came along and added scales. So just because somebody has had a life insurance license in the past and borrowed against a life insurance policy does not mean that they were practicing becoming your own banker. They were exercising a contractual right that they have to borrow against a cash bag. There's a difference. All right. Thanks for asking. In this question, Teddy, this is a basics of infinite banking seminar to private real estate. Can a CD or DVD be bought? Um, and the short answer is no, not of that presentation. That presentation was recorded a long time ago in a private real estate group. Um, and it was never really meant to be released into the big wide world, you know? Um, so there's not a CD or DVD available, but it's on YouTube at no cost. Right. And, but I do have a CD, a DVD available. It's called Banking with Life DVD.com. Go there. Um, and it's worth, it's worth watching. Even I think on our website, Banking with Life, you can even rent it, um, the recording. So, Teddy, there is not a CD or DVD available for that presentation. But there's an awful lot of content on this channel, well over 100 hours, 120, I don't even know how many, a well over 100 hours of free, no-cost content. So um, consume that, young man. And this is kind of a long, this is a regular listener who 
chess coach. And this is implementing the infinite banking into a business with uh, Rhonda. I had a guest on. That was episode 122. And uh, he says, or ask, how many investors, insureds, even infinite banking policyholders use personal policies to fund businesses uh, or use business policies to fund related businesses, conduct their wealth, building pursuits with a with focus on a system of policies, as Nelson taught. Amid the noise in the podcasting YouTube world, there's precious little emphasis on this key sound money principle. I hope there are many more episodes highlighting such wisdom. It all comes from R. Nelson Nash. So listen, I, I appreciate you listening. Thank you. And I appreciate the question. I completely agree with you. Um, I don't know the answer to how many. I know there are thousands there are hundreds and hundreds, I know there are thousands of business owners that practice this concept. Um, and, and so that's my answer, thousands of them. I don't know who they are. I only know my clients. And, you know, Rhonda was, that's why she was here. You know, she agreed to come on as a guest. And, and you know, I want people to know what can be done. And there's so much more to do. And so my short answer, chess coaches, I don't know. I suspect multiple thousands. I'm just one guy in Alvarado, Texas. I mean, we have, you know, affiliated or I call them, uh, you know, uh, partners, you know, the uh, strategic partners is what I call them. So I have agents that work with us across the country. They have their own clients. There's over 200, 400 members, uh, practitioners at the Nelson Nash Institute. They all have clients. So if they all have two, we broke a hundred or a thousand, I mean. Uh, so there's thousands of people business owners that finance businesses that finance their business their businesses um so and i and i agree with you that there is a lot of noise and the podcasting in the youtube world there's a ton of noise i mean I, i'm almost tired of talking about the noise but um it's prevalent is why i talk about it um and so there's more coming that i want to say that you know, I don't know what's going to be released first, this Q&A, or a guest episode that we have coming up, and his name is Domicine. He's a truck driver, and he's done a, a two-part um, video. It was a two-part episode. I had to break it. It went so long, we had to break it into two parts. So there'll be, you know, part one, part two. Fascinating story, incredible story, and incredible what he is currently doing um, in his business. All right, so I agree with you, and thank you for asking, Chess Coach. In this question, Carlos asks, and the problem with universal life or in, for infinite banking, that's the video that was released some time ago. Um, and the question is, you know, could you do a podcast covering a, a particular life insurance company and their balance sheet rider 
in their indexed universal life policies. So that terminology may figure out who I'm talking about. He goes on. An agent is trying to tell me that infinite banking works with those types of policies and that the cost of insurance won't eat up all my money. Please and thank you. Well, thank you for listening, Carlos. I think that question has been released for some time. I don't know that I've ever directly answered it other than I have shot or recorded and released a couple of shorter videos regarding universal life. And that is a larger work that is on our agenda to complete. We just haven't done it yet. Um, and it's not because we're lazy and not don't want to do it or not working. We're working hard. We're working like Hebrew slaves without straw. Okay. So I appreciate your patience. All right. <clears throat> and so to answer that question here is uh, I don't want to uh, do a podcast on a particular life insurance company. You know, I go out of my way not to mention life insurance companies by name because I do not want to promote a life insurance company. I want to promote the idea and the very fact that you can become your own banker with the infinite banking concept at the UME level. That's what I'm promoting. Education. Okay. Now, um, whatever they call their writer that accumulates cash, it's a PUA writer with whole life insurance, and they all have different names, or the life insurance companies name their writers differently. The problem here is, and that's a great company, they also write whole life. This particular company that you mentioned writes whole life insurance and they write universal life. Their particular, well, let me say their universal life policies illustrate the very best. So the agents are promoting universal life based on the illustration, right? Can you create an account value? Uh, yes. Um, does, look, you can borrow against anything. So if you have an account value in a universal life policy, you can borrow against it. Once you have a value above your surrender charge, all right, let's don't jump over that. The problem with universal life, whether the agent wants to recognize it or not, is the life insurance company retains the right to increase the cost of insurance. And the cost of insurance, the cost of the death benefit is COI. When you get your annual statement on the universal life policy, you'll see the values. You'll see the premium paid. You'll see a loan balance if you have one. You'll see the account value. You'll see the surrender charge. You'll see the surrender value if there is one. And you'll see the total death benefit. And you will see the cost of insurance. And it goes up every year that you're alive. It must. Why? Because you're getting one year closer to mortality. It is not a matter of when you graduate or if you're going to, it's a matter of when we are all going to graduate, right? So the longer I live, the higher the cost of that insurance is on a universal life policy. And then you're put into one or two positions. Number one, reducing the death benefit, all right, to lessen the cost of insurance and or increasing the premium. Period. 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 So the problem is by design of the universal life. It is not whether you can collateralize an account value or not. So, of course, the agent, you know, he's comfortable. They're comfortable with that. They want to get paid. And, you know, they probably think they're doing the right thing. 
I don't know. So I hope that answers your question. If you want to practice, let me be very clear and very direct. If you want to practice the infinite banking concept correctly, efficiently, and in, in, in a way that will serve you well over your lifetime, right? You should work with a qualified uh, practitioner, in my opinion, from the Nelson Nash Institute, right? A certified or recognized practitioner, the, someone who knows themselves, they do it themselves and they understand what Nelson's work was and is, right? And you want to work with a dividend paying whole life insurance uh, policy. That's what you want to own. And they're issued by mutual companies. When you buy that policy, you become an owner of the company. Okay. All right. Now, going back to this, like I said earlier, that company also has whole life insurance policies available. Why they're doing the universal life. It seems like universal life um, is getting, uh, having a resurgence of popularity. And I have my opinions. You know, I think that stock companies really write, uh, that's all they can write. They can't write a mutual policy, right? Because they're stock companies. So there's a lot of annuity sellers and promoters that want to write life insurance and, and what's available to them through their carriers is universal life. Um, okay. And then this question or this, th there's an individual V I'm answering that question that Carlos asked. And I just answered. And his question is this company is, has high early cash value rider. No kidding. I think I answered that. It is not a matter of the cash value that you can, you can collateralize. The issue, the problem, as I see it with universal life, is by design. It is, there is a design flaw in the policy. You can't correct it. Now, actuarially, it sounds, right, but you can practice the infinite banking concept uh, much more efficiently, with much more control, with a lot more guarantees, the only thing that you have is, is a guarantee in a universal life policy is that you've got to pay that premium. The risk of that policy paying a universal life policy, paying a death benefit is on you. Uh, you are assuming the risk of that policy being in force. That violates the very spirit, the very essence of insurance. If I buy insurance on my car, my home, or anything, I'm transferring that risk of loss to the insurer, and I'm paying for that privilege. With a universal life policy, I'm paying a premium to have a death benefit. That risk of having a death benefit in force at my natural mortality is transferred back to me. And I know a lot of agents listen to this, and some of you love us. Thank you. I love you, too. Some of you don't like us. That's okay. Educate yourself, sir, madam, before you um, lead your unsuspecting clients into something that may not serve them well. All right. I digress. Then V replies to that question with another reply. And he says, or they say, you have to understand the net amount of risk. The gap between the death benefit and the cash value shrinks over the years. So the term amount goes down. And then James Nethery, are you familiar with the net amount of risk? Thanks, V. Yes, I am. That's a very, very, very old concept. 
So the net amount of risk is, and it doesn't matter if it's universal life, any type of a, of a cash accumulating life insurance policy. There absolutely is a net amount of risk. So if I have a policy with a million dollars in death benefit, and I have a $500,000 cash value with whole life, or a $500,000 account value with universal life, the net amount of risk is the difference. 500,000, the difference between the cash value and the death benefit. So yes, V, I am very familiar with that. So the implication of his question or their question is uh, because that, so if I buy a policy today for a million dollars and there's no cash value or account value, then the company assumes a risk for the whole 1 million. Yes, they do. Now, as the account value grows in universal life, the net amount of risk shrinks. Yeah. So the implication is the cost of the insurance goes down. Now, you need to reread your contract, sir or madam. Okay, you would think that, yeah, the cost of insurance wouldn't cannibalize that universal life policy because the net amount of risk is shrinking. Yeah. It's true, the net amount at risk is shrinking. It is also true that the cost of insurance is going to go up and the potential of uh, cannibalizing that policy is great. I have yet to see a case all right, where a universal life policy performs as illustrated, number one. Okay, I wonder why the National Association of Insurance Commissioners several years ago limited the rate of return that could be illustrated in a universal life illustration. Hmm. Wonder why. And then the reply from the life insurance industry is, well, we'll use some factors, multiplying factors to get around that so they can illustrate even better some, you know, some bonuses in the future and different things. Um, hmm. Okay. And then, uh, let me go back to the uh, yet to see a case. And I haven't seen every case. I'm not saying that. I don't know everything, right? I've yet to see a case where universal life policy provided a tax-free income and a legitimate death benefit, all right, as illustrated. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. Could it happen? Yeah, hell, there could be life on Mars too, right? I don't know. Could it happen? Yeah, it could happen. Possible? Possible. Probable? Yeah, no. Okay. I don't want to get sidetracked. These are beautiful questions, and I appreciate the opportunity to listen to them or to answer to them, read them, and answer them. So if you have a universal life policy, I'm not saying go cancel that or replace that, but you should know what you have. You should know what you own. So you should be educated on what you have. And I don't care what you own. You know, you want to learn how to manage your assets. Look, universal life is an asset, maybe misplaced, right? Maybe you could do better. And if you can do better, you would want to know you could do better, right? I think. All right. Thank you for listening. I have fun and I hope you have fun as well. Thank you for listening. If you have a question that you would like answered, email me at james at bankingwithlife.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great day and we'll see you next time.